Say Something, a video podcast so you can listen and watch. It's like sports talk or news talk, but it's life talk to help us walk the road together. I'm Kay, and thanks for joining me and a few of my friends as we contemplate societal issues and ideas, searching for truth so that together we can say something encouraging to folks walking alongside. We have a great treat for you today. Theologian N.T. Wright joins us to chat about life in Christ, freedom, rescue, and hope realized and made whole in joy, abundant and available today. And that sense of God's glory filling the whole earth is almost a definition of joy, that God's own splendor flooding the whole of creation, but that comes about in the present time through the work of God, through the gospel, through God's people, through the Spirit, with those in desperate need. Thanks for joining the conversation. Here we go. So Tom is in New York and you are you are talking to people about your new book. N.T. Wright, former Bishop of Durham and professor at the University of St. Andrews, has most recently been appointed Senior Research Fellow at Wycliffe Hall University of Oxford. One of the world's leading Bible scholars and a popular award-winning author, he has been featured on ABC News, Dateline, The Colbert Report, and Fresh Air. In his inviting and readable latest book, The New Testament and Its World, which he co-authored with Michael Byrd, Tom places the entire New Testament and early Christianity in its original context, providing a passageway from the 21st century to the era of Jesus and the first Christians. In a 2003 interview, Tom said that he can never remember a time when he was not aware of the presence and love of God, recalling at a very young age, sitting by myself at Morpeth, being completely overcome, coming to tears by the fact that God loved me so much, he died for me. Everything that has happened to me since has produced wave upon wave of the same. He and his wife, Maggie, have four kids and several grandchildren. Yes, Can you hear us? Uh, yes, I can. Okay, We're great. In the restaurant, and it's it's slightly noisy, and, and I'm an old man. I'm going a bit deaf, but I can basically hear you. Yes. <laughs> Well, we're so excited that you're joining us. Yes. This is our carpool chat. And so because Julie and I are both moms, but we're also writers and bloggers. And so we're really okay. glad to have you on our show. Say something. And we're holding your great new book right here and are thankful for it. <laughs> okay, so we would love to know from you. What are some tips that you would give us as we enter into Scripture to maybe put aside preconceived ideas and notions about what Scripture is and be able to come read it? Okay, when you read Scripture, God can speak to anyone on any way through Scripture. You don't have to have a PhD in ancient Jewish history or whatever for that to happen. However, the Church has always known from the beginning that the more you look at the original meanings in their proper historical context, the more likely it is that you're getting the genuine message and not merely hearing an echo of your own voice. So that, I mean, for instance, one of the the big takeaways would always be the meaning of what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of God. But so many Christians think of that as meaning uh, going to heaven when you die. And it's very clear that that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about God's kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. In other words, God taking charge of this world in a whole new way. And that raises all sorts of other questions, which our Western culture particularly has been very slow to pick up on. Yeah, I I think I I love that you said that because that's not really, I think, what is served to a lot of Christians via the the Western church. And so I I love that. That's that's a paradigm shift there 
that that we're not that we're not just saved for heaven and what's coming we're saved for for this earth and what we're what god has us doing here that we are restorers and i, I think that's that's just like i said it's a beautiful paradigm shift i'm, I'm so glad you said that yeah, although uh, I'm aware that at the moment um, there are some in America who are taking that to the opposite extreme and saying it's nothing to do with heaven at all, it's simply a new earth. But the whole point is that all things in heaven and on earth together are to be coming together in Christ. And uh, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.10. And that, that is, as in Revelation, the new heavens and new earth is a single bipartite reality with a heaven-earth overlap. And that... One of the key things for me as a historian there is the significance of the temple in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. which to the first century Jew is all about this is where heaven and earth come together. Mm -hmm. And all those temple prophecies and God's new temple and so on, this is all about a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem, does and says things which make it clear mm -hmm. that he is upstaging the temple, that it's in and through him that heaven and earth are coming together. And that is the extraordinary, powerful message that the early Christians lived on. Can you go a little bit more in detail on that? How do you see that come to play in daily life? Like, what are some well, stories? Yeah, it's, that's, that's a great question. I mean, let me, let me start by saying this. In Acts 1, you have Jesus ascending into heaven, which means that there is now a bit of earth, namely the human body, transformed, re resurrected human body of Jesus in heaven. But then in Acts 2, you have the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples, which means that the breath and life and energy of heaven has now come to earth to illuminate and guide and energize um, the people of God. Now, both of those are temple images. So yeah. in, in both cases, we have the joining of heaven and earth in Jesus and in the Spirit, so that it's no surprise then that throughout the Acts of the Apostles, the major problem spots are to do with the temple, whether it's the, the clash over Stephen in Acts 7, right. or Paul's attack on the Athenian temples in Acts 17, or lots of other things that when Paul comes back at the end, the whole question is, was he trying to desecrate the temple? And Paul says he wasn't, but to the left, Jesus is now the or the means by which God is at work in the world, rather than the temple. So for us today, I think this is a challenge to say that if by the Spirit we are ourselves the temple of the living God, and that's something that Paul stresses in his letters, then we have to take very seriously the fact that both as individuals and as the community of believers, we are to think of ourselves as the place where heaven and earth come together. Now, that mm -hmm. sounds very dangerous. Right. We humans, are called, uh, we humans are called to live at the intersection of heaven and earth and to live at the intersection of God's future and the present God's kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. And that means that every day we Christians are designed and intended to be people who uh, reflect the life of heaven into the life of earth and reflect the praises of earth back to heaven and likewise who reflect um, God's future purposes for the world into the present world against the day when finally God's future will arrive completely. That gives me a sense of Christian vocation and a sense yeah. of what the church is really all about, which can be cashed out in a hundred um, very practical ways. Okay. But that, that's the basic shape of it. 
Okay, give us some practical ways that you've seen it play out. did you see? Things, and there was a kind of a sign that 
out of their brokenness and their weakness, they were being trained to, 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 to fix things that were wrong. And that is just in a very practical way. Yeah. But it was also sort of life-giving that those people who might have been told by society, you are useless, you are broken, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do, they were being given meaning and purpose and value. And, and to me, that's, that's just a wonderful sign of the gospel is, is about rehumanizing, about a new way of being human. Even in the, you know, we are all, to a lesser or greater extent, broken human beings. We're all sinful, we're all muddled, we all mess up. But God can use us, even in our brokenness and our weakness, to turn things around, to bring healing and hope to his world. And that, for me, is what the gospel is, is all about, literally on the street. Yes, and that's where your coming together of heaven and earth meets, exactly. which occurs in school halls. Like we have children, yeah. and for them to be able to get out of their junior high insecurities to be able to yeah. meet as a new person is, so, is such a powerful concept. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It really is. But I think I think the crucial thing in this book that we're trying to say, Mike Bird and I, is that when you look at the New Testament in its own world, it isn't simply... Um, a sign that, uh, yeah, there's stuff that can happen. It's saying that when Jesus did what he did and died and rose again, um, a great dawn world and God's new life has come through into the world mm. and that door is never going to be shut again. And the oh, world around that. us often likes to pretend that this is just uh, a new way of being religious for those who might like it. And that's yeah. a lie. The whole point of Christianity is that the world has turned its great corner and that those who follow Jesus and pray for the breath of the Spirit to work in and through them can become agents of that new world right here and now. Uh, I love it. I, I, I love it. I, I think that our culture is so... They are looking in every nook and cranny to be encouraged, yep, yep. and they are looking for significance in all these different ways. And then here you come with this message that is the message that was brought to us in in Scripture. But I, I can't think. I feel like I've, I'm in the locker room, and you're the coach giving us the pep talk to get ready to go to remind us that we are restorers and we're not just, you know, observers, yeah. but... Yes, that, that's exactly right. We are not just beneficiaries, we are participants. Yes. But one of the ways I put it when we're talking about, say, justification is that God has promised that he is going to put everything right in the end and that he puts us right in the present time so that we can be part of his putting right projects for the world. And that brings together justification and justice in a way that I think the church has often failed to do and should give us a vision both locally in our families, in our streets, in our homes, in our schools, but also globally, because so often the witness of the churches, certainly in my country and I fear in yours as well, has not really grasped this bit particular point that has been content just to rumble along right. and provide some religious background music while the politics and the society go their own way. Right, it. It, right, and it's even the, the, the thought of, hey, we as Christians, we're here and we're behind enemy lines and we have to remember that, but we are the, we are the restorers, we are the Calvary, we are the coming in. Um, <laughs> 
And I think a key thing that you are so great to point out is that it's not by our might and it's sure. not by our power. Yeah, absolutely. And th this is always the paradox of Christian discipleship. And St. Paul puts it very well. He says, I worked harder than all the rest of them, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of yes. God that was with me. And, yes. and I think all those of us who work in the church and for God's kingdom would say that again and again. But it's often when we come to the end of our resources, when we think we've totally messed up and blown it, etc., that then God says, okay, watch what I'm going to do now. And we think, oh, phew, okay, that's how it should be. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is again and again how it works out. Okay, Tom, one of our favorite questions that we ask people, and I hope I'm not blindsiding you with this, but what would be your top tips, like two or three or whatever, to a joy-filled life? Oh, goodness. Joy is the product of knowing that Jesus is Lord. Uh, that is the primary thing. There's a sort of sigh of relief about saying that on the cross, Jesus defeated the power of evil. And though evil rants and rages and tries to do it worst, Jesus is Lord. And there's a sort of sigh of relief and the welling up of a joy which says, actually, it's all going to be okay. And obviously, as a pastor, I know many, many human situations where it's very hard to say that. But the early Christians, which was all about what God had just done in raising Jesus from the dead. It's very interesting because as a historian, I looked at the, for a long time, at the ancient Jewish world, and I came to the conclusion that the thing which most characterized the ancient Jewish world was hope. And the early Christians, of course, have a hope as well. But when you say, what's the equivalent for the early Christians, the answer was joy. Because whatever happened, they knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead and he was already the Lord of the world. And they could appeal to him in all situations, in all contexts, for help, for rescue, for encouragement, for strength, etc. So the secret to the joy-filled life is having that clear knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Mm. And how do you propose getting that clear knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of prayer. <laughs> the, church, the church must teach it and must apply it. Yeah. And as we read scripture ourselves, we must uh, teach it to ourselves and apply it. But then particularly in our worship and our prayer, then the constant invocation of Jesus as Lord and the rest in dance and, as I say, in prayer, um, that, that Jesus is Lord will sustain that in us yeah. and, and when we then see that working out and of course one of the ways in which Jesus' Lordship shows itself if you read Psalm 72 which is all about what, what will happen when the ideal Messiah the Messiah will take care of the poor and needy he will look out for the widows the signs of his Lordship are the ministry of God's people to the poor and the needy and when the church is doing that it is sending a clear signal we apologize for the slight interruption due to a not so clear signal programming will resume shortly okay so okay. it cut out right at when you were saying it's the sending the clear signal 
say first of all thank you thank you for what you do these you have you have people in the US that are that are are growing in knowledge and relationship with God through your hard work through the years and so we are we are grateful and um, I, it really is true so grateful and I just think of the distress and the need and I think that people could think that it's in another part of the world besides even in their home because these kids these days and the people that are walking alongside us the distress the anxiety the worry the pressures it's just it can be overwhelming and and so thank you for your good word to minister in those moments based on who it is that is reigning today Good talk. Thank well, you so much. God, you, you really made our day. <laughs> Godspeed on your book. I will say it's a thick book. <laughs> but there's a lot. There's a lot of pictures and diagrams and charts and other friendly stuff in it. Oh, oh so it's really a picture book. <laughs> it's a picture book. <laughs> well, we thank you. We thank you for putting this information together for us. Thank you so much. And have a great time in New York and a great lunch okay. with Jana. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye -bye. Thank you. A huge part is just saying and meeting people where they are, offering an encouraging word, meeting each other in those points and areas of our life that are that are stressful with the absolute truth that the victory has been won. And so in that, we encourage you to go say something kind, probably to yourself and then to the person next to you, including those kids who could use a kind word of truth. Amen. I'm all in. Until next time.
Very special thanks to NT, Tom Wright, for being such a sport and for sharing with us his great and vast wisdom, encouragement, humor, and his terrific new book, The New Testament in Its World, which we encourage you to check out. And thank you. Want to stay connected? Visit SaySomethingShow.com and sign up to our mailing list. Or be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or listen on Apple Podcasts.